0: Content warning. The following podcast contains some very strong language, images of graphic violence and gore, and there is discussion involving sexual assault at the time codes shown on screen or written in the episode description. Viewer discretion is strongly advised.
1: Hello there cultists and welcome to another episode of the silver screen podcast and yes this episode is another look at what some would describe as a cult movie i'm your host for this episode dk and no i'm not the one currently appearing in cinemas alongside the mario brothers now joining me today is the usual host of the silver screen podcast whose turn it is to take a little easier this week and put himself in the guest hot seat michael wilson how are you doing mike
0: We're gonna get
1: you a review of Evil Dead. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing? You all right, fella? I'm doing
0: all right, yeah, man. I'm uh, happy happy to talk all things uh, horrific, as usual.
1: (laughs) Brilliant. Now, also joining us today is, for regular listeners, the now de facto third member of the Silver Screen Triumvirate, Sandra Evenson. How are you doing, Sandy?
2: I will rip your soul out, daddy.
1: I'm doing good. That was the most
0: unintentionally sinister because you just sounded so sweet with it because you just couldn't commit to being nasty. That I was like, "That is sinister," is that (laughs) correct?
1: Yeah, that uh, it might have been unintentionally sinister. My my anal gland kind of snapped a little. <laughs> Just don't start
0: seeing the really extreme stuff that comes up later in the movie because oh, yeah. oh, it's very
1: <laughs> You see the thing is now nah, you've played that recording. We are the, the podcast is actually cursed, so th- yeah. that explains it. Oh. We've unleashed something, DK, it's in here with us. Thank,
2: God. <laughs> Thank goodness it's across the pond.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's here digitally, it's like that movie host. John Lennon famously once said, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans, though the original quote can be traced back to Alan Saunders, just for the pedantic out there. And that's definitely something we can attest to here on the podcast. Our first cult episode last year was intended to be a semi-regular feature, with plans for two or three episodes under our belt by this point. But as is the way of such things, that was not to be. Those of you who are returning listeners will know that the first couple of months this year got off to a shaky start with plans going awry. As it stands, the only other episode under our cult banner so far was the Christmas special last year where we took a look at the Joe Dante classic Gremlins. And if you haven't had time to check that out, please do. That episode, it's not just for Christmas. However, Our ability to survive depends on our ability to adapt. And here we are at the show, we've had to do our fair share of adapting in recent times. So while you may have heard us refer to those other movie titles in our upcoming sections, they have been postponed. But rest assured, they will be coming eventually. You may just have to wait a little longer for them. In the meantime, we've got an extra couple lined up for you lucky people. The first of which is the one you're listening to now, in which we'll be taking a good look at Fred Alvarez's 2013 remake, slash reboot, slash requel, Evil Dead. Just I do, in time.
0: I do believe for it's, the... it's Freddy Alvarez, but I love that you just called him Fred. Fred. <laughs> Fred.
1: That's what he's getting from me. Just in time for Evil Dead Rise, which is hitting cinemas this weekend. Now yes, it is. Before we go any further, I've got to ask, because I didn't do so on the Gremlins episode with you, Mike, and this is the first time on a cult episode for you, Sandy. If I had to put either of you on the spot, what would you consider your all-time favourite cult movie? And I'm going to go to you first, Sandy. My all-time favourite
2: cult movie... Like, I'm actually drawing a blank. Like, not even one movie is coming to me. Of all, Just a moment ago when I said I have, like, many wishes for movies, and then they're just, like, all drawing a blank.
0: <laughs> yeah, we were like, is there any movies you wanted to do next year? And you said, I've forgotten the name of any movie ever made. Yeah.
2: What new <laughs> <is laughs> film?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that's exactly what happened to me right now.
0: I definitely know mine now. Now it's coming go to on. My head and well, no- well,
1: we'll come back to you, Sandy. What's
0: yours, man? Okay. Mine. Mine is definitely 1980s Flash
1: Gordon. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Freeze, you bloody bastards! Yeah, looking forward to that episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know if you do. You want me to pick something else because that kind of gives the game away for when we record that. Episode. No, no,
1: you, you know, for for you for you people out there, we do have a Flash Gone episode coming up later this year, and uh, yeah, Mike will be on that. So I am looking forward to that extremely. I should say I, w- I wanted to pick one of the Star Trek movies, but I wouldn't necessarily call those cult, and people would just fully expect me to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, you could if you said, "Oh, I like Star Trek five. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then Sandy, have you have you managed to scrape up a name?
2: I mean, I guess uh, probably one of the first movies I can remember just being very obsessed with is probably the Lost Boys. I think. Ooh.
0: I haven't seen that yet, but I know I
1: want to <laughs> You've not seen The Lost Boys, man Yeah, you'll not be disappointed with Lost Boys That is that is a really good film It's not quite as good as Fright Night, in my opinion But, you know oh, okay. it, It's there Sorry about so, that diversion anyway <laughs> oh, It's
0: alright I was just going to uh, say,
2: the, the soundtrack and everything Was great with Lost Boys I remember even having the, the cassette tape It was just so good And of course I was in love with Corey Haim At that time, so that helped
1: yeah, Jamie Gertz on, on, on this side. It uh, And yeah, I had the soundtrack on vinyl and it was never off the player at the time. Well, we're going to take a, a closer look at what we thought of today's movie in just a moment or two. In the meantime, we're going to delve a little behind the scenes on the production. So, Mike, if you're standing by with that lovely lounge music, take it away, if you please. I am. I've tried to pick something that would fit the sort of horror theme of the Evil Dead. <laughs> so here goes. Let's hope
0: that this, uh, sounds suitably... Mm-hmm. There we go. <laughs> that's not what I was going with. Let me... Let me <laughs> think. I don't know what... That's the wrong thing. Before you there start... We. No. 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 There we are. Sorry. <laughs> that's the wrong one. again. This is it. There we go. Okay. I know it's, it's, it's far more, you know, Welcome to Jazz Club, but it's the closest I can get to
1: Sinister, <laughs> I'm afraid. Right, it's closer to Evil Dead than the first one that came up. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought, oh god, what, is, is this sarcasm? Anyway, thanks dude. Uh, yes, when the initial ideas proposed for a reimagining of the Evil Dead, while Raimi and Tapper were keen, Bruce Campbell was less positive. He was unhappy to pass on the role of Ash to a new generation, despite Raimi believing an up-to-date remake could work. Campbell finally got on board with the idea once he found out that the film would feature an entirely new slate of characters and Ash would not be recast. Right, right, too. Now, Alvarez initially pitched the movie as having the audience watching something they're not supposed to be watching. So, you know, it's a fine line there. Just just be thankful (laughs) it did as well as it did. Now, 95% 95% of the film was shot in chronological order as the level of blood and violence increases as the film progresses. By shooting in order, mostly, the crew could throw blood and other bodily fluids, steady, around the set and not worry about having to clean it up as they went on. One of these fluids was fake blood, 70,000 gallons of the stuff, 50,000 of which was used in the final scene alone. When you compare this to the uh, Two to three hundred gallons used in the original, that's quite the escalation. (laughs) And uh, one here for you, Mike. I know you love this kind of thing. If you take the first letters of each of the main characters, David, Eric, Mia, Olivia and Natalie, the letters spell out, demon.
0: Oh, that is genius! I never (laughs) knew that! I love that!
1: (laughs) I know, I know. I did that just for you. Now, eagle-eyed viewers may have noticed, I wasn't one of them, that if you pause the movie at 2 minutes 25 seconds into it Over the shoulder of the burning girl, you can spot the face of an angry demon in the flames And I'm Natalie... try that
0: because I didn't see that either. Yeah,
1: and Natalie. Poor, poor Natalie Apparently she wasn't always a cardboard standee for the first half of the movie In, <laughs> in the original script it's alleged she talked a great deal more and had more characterization. I mean, couldn't get less. Including delving into the story of how she and David met. Unfortunately, in the final script, they removed the majority of said dialogue, leaving her to become part of the cabin's furniture during the opening scenes.
0: During now, most of the movie, let's be
1: fair. Now, it seems to be in a trend during editing with this, as many of the clips used for the trailers and in Mike's avatar here Heading up to the movie release were removed from the final picture or were altered for the final version Though that's not uncommon these days as it seems to be more and more prevalent in today's releases. And yes, I'm looking at you Marvel Now Channel 4 in the UK premiered the movie on terrestrial TV in 2015 Which featured an alternate cut of the movie running an extra four minutes and ten seconds no one knows where this cut came from as it was pulled soon afterwards, but it's assumed that Studio Canal provide this alternate print in error to the channel. And as Mike knows all too well, tracking this version down can be problematic. It does it does exist though, you can get it, but it's gotta be like finish import or something. <laughs> yeah. There is another extended cut of the movie, which could be the one that you're talking about, which includes six oh, okay. minutes. Uh, which was originally removed to achieve an R rating. This footage was reinstated for the 2018 Blu-ray release. In the original ending to the film, Mia makes it out of the woods and onto the road, where she's rescued by a truck driver, Jack Wally, and his wife. On the way to the hospital, she would have opened her eyes to reveal she was a, in quotes, deadite, before the film cut to black. This scene is one of those removed, but apparently it's been restored in the extended cut. Yeah, I have
0: seen that scene. It's not that obvious. It kinda it, it's very ambiguously ended in that it just has Mia open her eyes and then a kind of ominous music sting, but she certainly doesn't look full dead eye right? It's just I think it's there if you want to believe, like it's not over,
1: she's still possessed, but eh. Yeah, and speaking of endings, originally the plan for the post credit stinger had Mia meeting Ash from the original movies, thus making Stell sequel like uh Shyamalan Split rather than a continuity reboot. Alas, this never happened, and while spoilers, Ash does indeed get a post cameo. It doesn't uh, feature in any context of the movie itself. Despite this, Alvarez claims that the movie is a direct relation to the originals. In an interview that took place in 2018, Alvarez stated, It continues the first one. The coincidences and events between the first film and mine are not coincidences, but more like dark fate created by the evil book. Ash's car is still there, rusting away.
0: The word um, evil should be associated with Dark Fate ever since that
1: Terminator movie. <laughs> so what are your thoughts with regards to that, Mike?
0: Yeah, I've always been kind of back and forth with this. I kind of, I always saw it as a sequel because of the presence of Ash in the post credit scene and because there's credits leading up to that player's dialogue from the first Evil Dead. But I've had this conversation with you. I'm... Um, i'm an idiot so i forgot that the the name of the book in the first evil dead was naturum de Monto, which is what they use here in the remake um because i just know it as necronomicon ex mortis which apparently as i've read is something they started calling it in evil dead 2 alongside the other name then retconned from that point onwards so army of darkness ash versus evil dead the video games and everything refer to it as the necronomicon ex mortis uh and not the naturum de Monto, though that is technically speaking the original the evil dead's correct name um but like i said to you i don't think you can
1: still claim it's the same book because there's no face on the front of it it's the most well, iconic part yeah i mean i mean some are getting around uh, i've been you know as i was studying this i mean some are getting around the book issue by stating it enforces the theory that they take place in the same continuity but because when ash mm-hmm. attempted to burn the necronomicon in the original it didn't burn just like you he didn't hear and instead yeah. i don't know he transformed much like the dark hole, i guess and but i think also
2: in the army of darkness there were three books But then he said, well, that book is actually a decoy, but it's like all muddled, but it's the possibility that there's more than one book
0: yeah yeah but i also I, mean... um, I also did a sorry i did a really big deep dive and this is getting into stupid territory now but i did look it up because i was like oh i was wrong about the name and everything and so i'll check it up and it's it seems like it's kind of the evil dead equivalent of Unicron, in that there's a version of the book of the dead in every reality but it's just it's, it's always the same kind of root cause but not necessarily the same book so it's like on earth 20497 the book does this and on because uh obviously it has like it's part of the Marvel Comics universe because of uh, Marvel Zombies versus Army of Darkness and all that. So, yeah. yeah, it's really weird. It could be a parallel universe. It could be literally just a direct sequel. It could be an alternate sequel to Evil Dead 2,
1: which is within it itself, sequel and all remake. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's good to think of it, but it does reach a point sometimes where you think you, you've reached a multiverse of madness levels of cope. In attempting to explain it away <laughs> after the fact, if you know what I mean. I mean quite fitting for a Sam Raimi property though, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not to be too pedantic, but with regards to Asher's car, the Oldsmobile seen in the film is not the nineteen seventy-three Delta eighty eight, aka Raimi's personal uh, car slash Ashes, like many fans have stated, but a nineteen seventy four Delta eighty eight. According to car enthusiast Jerry Garrett, one excuse is that raimi could have been using the chassis from the original while filming of the great and powerful around the same time as uh, this was shooting so i mean you would really have to look to to dispute that but i don't I entirely, think was the same one <laughs> yeah i mean i don't entirely buy it i mean it does sound like a callback that alvarez is attributing too much to to make it seem more important than it is i mean i could be wrong but, when, you know, going back to our recent Prometheus episode, and if you if you haven't already, check that out, but studying the many statements Scott came up with for that movie, whatever you think of it, and now this, I'm just more and more convinced that many directors just really don't know what they're talking about a lot of the time. <laughs> I mean, when it was originally in the can, prior to moving on to the Ash versus Evil Dead TV series... Raimi, Tapper and Campbell did state that this movie was within continuity of the original, with a plan to make Army of Darkness 2, calm down Mike, uh, followed by a sequel to this one, and then one final movie with both Mia and Ash. Universal then passed on Army of Darkness 2, and (laughs) and in its place we received the TV show, so it's looking that that'll never happen, obviously, especially with the sequel to the 2013 film being shelved, leaving leaving it in a state of limbo. Now, sequel was in development from the time of this release in 2013, but was stuck in development hell for almost a decade. Evil Dead Rise, which has just received its release, is instead a supposed sequel to the original Raimi movies set in the same continuity. That statement in itself seems to suggest that this one is no longer considered as being so. Though no cast members, i.e. Ash, are slated to return. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So that concludes our behind-the-scenes section for this episode. So, Mike, please drop that music like you drop a deadite with a boomstick. <laughs> it is gone. It is gone <laughs> like every one of the
0: sad, pathetic teens in this movie. <laughs> who find themselves just disposable cardboard cutter yeah it was it was understandable that natalie would fire
1: a nail gun into herself i'd mistake her for a plank of wood as well yes yes she (laughs) i mean they'll get into it i mean with regards to today's movie I've, i've got to confess that despite being a big fan of the originals i'd never seen this one and i only sat down to watch it for this mike you're very familiar with the movie but what about you sandy had you seen this before it came up in the in the schedule
2: um I did. I saw it on purpose uh before the show came out because I wanted to prepare myself for the show. It was the only movie I was missing. And at that time I was very disappointed because I was expecting or hoping for um the evil dead one, two, and three basically to do what Raimi was doing, but better. And in some ways they did, but it was missing some things and and we'll talk about that uh but then um i didn't really remember much of it and i knew i needed to look at it from a fresh you know filmmaking perspective and so it was almost like seeing it with new eyes just uh this past week
1: cool well we'll get specifics in a moment but bear in mind it is a remake of it well you know or a continuity Reboot of a series of movies that began in the 80s, which themselves are considered classics, not to mention the requal aspect. Do either of you, obviously it leads into it, uh, have any fond memories of the original films?
2: Um, I do. I remember my aunt having it on in the background. Um, Obviously, I was way too young to be watching that. I mean, she didn't know I was watching it, but... uh I think it's just again, uh, hearkening back to uh, a time in childhood where there's, you know, so much innocence and getting to see something that was that fantastic and kind of getting away with it. Um, That's mostly my memory. I don't remember a whole lot about the movies.
1: Do you think he still holds up? Or do you think a modern day reimagining was, you know, needed?
2: Well, Yes and no. I I think it still holds up in that I enjoyed it a lot more watching it when I was older, but I thought it was hilarious, which obviously was not the intention of uh, Raimi. But um, so in that sense, yeah, a remake was made if it was to hold up as, you know, one of the scariest movies ever made. So in that sense, yes.
1: Yeah. And how about you, Mike?
0: I've got, yeah, lots of memories with uh, with these movies, but I don't, I don't want to take up too long, but I will say the I, I used to be a total coward when it came to watching horror movies. So I remember um when I started my film studies degree course, it was one of the ones that was talked about a lot in sort of the circles that I found myself hanging out with. And so I was like, I've got to watch it because everybody else has. But as you, I'm sure will know d k It had a reputation because it was one of the original like banned video nasties in yeah. the u k here. Um, which made me expect something like really horrendous. Uh, so I was uh, oh, like, I myself and I watched it one night. And much the same as Sandra, I was like, huh, okay, this is. There's particular bad moments, obviously, that I'm sure we'll get into. But this is. It's got a sense of kind of quirkiness and whimsy that it's hard to take, you know, to aggressively, violently scary or anything. Although I do think the original The Evil Dead is still pretty creepy and scary, Um, although by Evil Dead 2 it just goes full slapstick. But that's fun. I I prefer Evil Dead 2 in a way. Um, But, yeah, the first Evil Dead I did watch, like I said, and then there was a, a very weird situation. I was working at a cinema locally, and we had, like, a horror night for Halloween one night which was literally through the night Uh, and it was like four back-to-back movies starting at like 10 o'clock at night and going till seven o'clock the next morning something like that um and i decided to stick around and try to do that and the first one i was fine with which was ring uh the second movie was evil dead and naturally by the time it got to then i was fast asleep and (laughs) i just remember waking up and in my half awake state all i could hear was Jack of clubs,
1: four of hearts, two of diamonds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now that scene is creepy as flip because as you can imagine, you're in a half-awake haze having fallen completely asleep against your will, and all you hear is that, and then see that kind of creepy scene of uh, I who the character is, but, um, yeah, with those kind of weird ping-pong ball eyes, and like, how can I get you? And I was like, okay, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I am... Uh, Although it was slightly preferable to the fact that I fell asleep uh, after like 20 minutes into the next movie, which was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and just woke up to half an hour of pure blood curdling, screaming and chainsaw revving and was like, (laughs) ah, shut up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, that was my experience with the first one. And then obviously I saw Evil Dead 2 because I'd seen the first one. So I watched, I borrowed it from a friend, watched it. I guess I slightly prefer it because it's just fun. And uh, as I've kind of alluded to, hate Army of Darkness because that is, just goes into territory of too stupid for me, unfortunately, which I know is a controversial opinion. A lot of my friends have almost uh, you know, cut ties with me for that, but I just can't get away with Army of Darkness. I think it, it, it softens everything in the universe just a bit too much and it changes from horror to just stupidity frankly just full on comedy daftness uh so yeah and i have seen like a, like you said this movie a few times i thought i'd only seen it like once which was when i first bought the blu ray then i realized that i'd seen all of the uh, scenes that you mentioned from the extended or one of the extended cuts and i was like oh i must have caught one of the screenings on channel 4 because apparently it has aired two or three times like extended cuts of the movie and I do vividly recall seeing like the scene that's on my avatar which is the the remake or the redo of um, We're Gonna Get You by like Dead Eye Mia and I know I saw that alternate ending where she's picked up by the truck and like I said it kind of opens she opens her eyes as she's resting her head and it just goes like deep <laughs> Oh, has it ended really um, and yeah just other things that I think made it gel together a bit better nothing that I can specifically put my hand on as such but uh, put my finger around, I should say and um, but I do remember thinking like as I rewatched it this time again on the Blu-ray I was like that felt weirdly incomplete and I did look to see if there were deleted scenes or whatever on the Blu-ray and there aren't but uh, some of the deleted scenes do come up in the behind the scenes sections including that famous we're gonna get you which they specifically have Jane Levy talk about doing even though it's now not in the movie
1: which is frustrating <laughs> as heck. <laughs> Well, I mean, we've seen other horror series remade and updated for modern audiences with uh, varying degrees of success from Halloween to, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. How do you think this one stands up alongside those? I, I don't want to say too
0: much because it will get into what I'm saying on my review, but I do think as as a remake of that, which it kind of is, I like that they completely changed a lot of things, like the analogues for characters are entirely different. You can still see what they were aiming with, like Mia is the analog for Ash, and yet that is so different from anything that you expect, um, and yeah, just the same with the other characters. They are all more or less the same stereotypes, but they've made... They've switched it up enough gender role-wise and uh, stuff like that. And I love, love, love the new wrinkle of uh, Mia's addiction being there because it gives you the metaphorical framework for everything. And as I think you mentioned, DK, it makes it a lot less egregious that these idiots don't just immediately
1: leave the cabin at the first sign of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean that'll take. I mean, we'll we'll get into specifics now, really, and we'll, you know, obviously it'll flip back and forth as it does. So, uh, you know, so from that, we'll just go into the writing. So uh, you might as well carry on with that, Mike. What? Uh...
0: Yeah, well, like I said, it's. Um, I, I do love that this one, unlike the original, which doesn't do this, but it's something that I like in horror. Like I said, works on the metaphor level of. Um, I think I saw a an article by one of the horror. Uh, channels or or websites that said deadites as heroin addiction. This is the metaphor of the movie, and it absolutely is. And I kind of love that. I love that, like, the original Evil Dead doesn't – it doesn't hurt it that it doesn't really work on a metaphor level, but I like films that do like the original Dawn of the Dead. You know, it's zombies as consumerism, uh, for example. So I kind of like when you can work in that area. And viewing that – this movie, sorry, a few times now, with that in mind, it's really – it's kind of awesome to me how much of it really does play into that um which you know I could, I could talk about a few different things but certainly i don't recall other than army of darkness which as i've mentioned not a fan of i don't recall it ever being the case that deadites would copy a person before and that they would face like an evil version of themselves uh and i was like well, that really plays into me of the idea of mia is quote-unquote her own worst enemy and this concept of you've got to face your inner demons in this case personified literally Um, and I think that plays into the idea as well that I love of like making Mia the main character a la Ash but also the main antagonist which was a different character in the original movie because it is literally her fighting against this addiction and these demons even though it doesn't explicitly spend a long time you know dealing with that I think you can't deny that that undercurrent is there and that is kind of the point of, I think, what they're trying to
1: say. Um, Yeah, I mean, as as you mentioned, I mean, yeah, doing the cold cold turkey thing and trying to counter that by remaining for her own good. They subtly, you know, got around that there's a bunch of idiots here and they won't leave. Uh, I do like that they played on that angle and that the thing she saw... Could be because of a predicament, and it's not, you know, all oh, patter on a hand, or oh, you're just seeing things, dear, kind of thing. And uh, yeah. yeah, I did, I did like that bit, although not so much on the just basically turning up and finding an altar in the cellar. I mean, most would be out of there like a shot, cold turkey, or not.
0: Uh, I I can buy it, I can dig it because it was, it's weird stuff. But as they said, your assumption would be maybe it's just people that were into witchcraft and stuff that had stumbled upon the cabin i don't think you'd immediately especially knowing that they're there for mia and they've got to do what they can i don't think you would immediately run off after that and at least they do sort of once things do kind of really hit the fan badly they do say you know something's happened it's terrible we're gonna get you out of here and even when she scores herself they try to get her to a hospital so it's not like they're you know immediately negligent i just think I like that because like I said, otherwise it would be a question of the moment there's the first hint of anything like that, you would think, nah, we're going. <laughs> but now you can't have that because like I said, I think it's clever that the film also mentions they've done this before and Mia just quit straight away and she'll try anything to to get you to leave. So yeah. that's why why they had like you said, it, it's better that that gives them the initial disbelief of, like, you're just overly sensitive. We we can't smell anything dying other than, you know, they they don't seem stupid or negligent as much when you discover the cellar full of dead animals and you're like, really,
1: guys? Nobody else
0: smelled that? Come on.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, it's it's not played by idiocy as much as, you know, as much as horror horror movies or other movies in general. Other than one character, which which we kind of mentioned off, off air, which is, like, come on, you open a book
0: that consistently yeah. has written in what looks like blood, do not read this, stop yeah. it, he is watching you, don't read this, and your first thought is, hmm, Yeah, I'm going to rub this to see the unrevealed
1: letters and read them out loud to yeah. nobody. Harry, <laughs> what a prick. I mean, I love books as much as the next person, but if I found a book in a cabin full of dead animals hung from the ceiling it was wrapped in plastic and barbed fucking wire. That thing would remain wrapped in plastic and barbed wire.
0: Exactly. The moment you have to get wire cutters to open it, and then you start seeing that sinister imagery, i would be like, nope, bye. Your curiosity
2: <laughs> would not get the better of you, though. You wouldn't just be, no. I mean, no. you wouldn't just, like, need to see
0: no. what that was all no, about. No, not if it looked like it's shown in the movie here.
2: Believe, <laughs> you'd <laughs> actually believe that they were that, that it was an evil book and not just like something some crazy person wrapped up.
0: Not it, necessarily, it, but like I said, look at the images that are in it. I wouldn't want to see any more of that. The moment it shows you the first like illustrations of people cutting off their face or burning themselves and stuff, I'd be like,
1: Well, I've had enough of this. I don't need to see any more from it's this. It's not book. just because he tried me. to look at the writing and then thought, nah, screw it. He traced it. Yeah, you know, I mean, this, yeah, this because it had already been removed. Him an idiot.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. The fact that the specifically like every page he turned was a warning as well, and he still ignored not just one warning, but about seven. That was like I said, it's like, do not do this. Don't read from this book. Walk away. Please leave this book alone. Bad things will happen. He is watching you, and this guy's just like turn the page. Turn the
2: page turn Who believes the page. <laughs> that really? Though, <laughs> I, I think actually that's start to after... <laughs> I actually asked my daughter because I made her watch it with me because it's very scary. Oh, yeah, you actually, asked my terrible daughter, parent. Said,
1: and the parent of the year award goes to.
2: <laughs> she's she's twenty five. She's fine. Um, I asked her. I was like, "Would you open the book? You know, would you have done that?" And she said, "No, like, no way, absolutely not." I was like, "You wouldn't have been curious." She goes, "Well, I would have been curious." She goes, "But I would have made someone else do it." <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, I'm sorry, but no, if no, if i, if I had also, found that in an altar, in an altar surrounded by dead things, I'd be like, nah, I ain't touching that.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing they already said. It's oh, it's possibly people that are engaging in witchcraft. So your logical brain would be like maybe it's a you know some kind of demonic witchcraft spell book or something, in which case it's you still don't have any business looking at it and don't care. I'd immediately personally try and burn it. I mean,
2: I can't say what I'd do. I'd be so curious. I'd probably be pompous enough to think that I could, you know, stop right before something bad happened.
0: Yeah. But having said that, Sandra, would you, if you did, you know, if you were stupid enough to reveal the letters that had already been removed by tracing and stuff, would you then read them out loud to nobody?
2: Okay. No, because I've seen the mummy. <laughs> we don't do that.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. See, this is... I I like in the original, they had that recording. And, you know, he instantly got around this stupidity. I mean, by this point, already, are we supposed to hate who I ended up calling Buried at Sea Eric?
2: (laughs) I think so, yes. Because he has a tiny bit of a redemption arc. So I think right now, we hate him. Especially because, you know, with uh, regards to David, he's just being such a prick, a whiny prick about the whole thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: but... uh, that's the weird part is that like, he starts off being a whiny prick and I'm with you. I've been like, Oh, I don't like this guy. But then I found myself wondering like, hang on, he's justifiably peeved. Cause like, David just did off and left them all. Then he's late turning up to his sister's plumb intervention, you know, cure a heroin addiction situation. And it's like, he's kind of got reason to be annoyed. But then, as you said, when he starts being stupid with the the book and stuff, you're like, oh, this guy clearly is just a jerk.
1: (laughs) It's going into writing territory. Uh, Sorry, into directing territory. But when he... when it comes to that scene where he's trying to burn the book, the instant he appears on screen, he's framed in such a way that he looks like Chad kroger from Nickelback, and I just thought. really <laughs> say oh, that
0: movie. a hero could save.
2: And I kept seeing Jared Leto through the whole thing, oddly.
0: Yeah. No, I just, I, I just, I, I, when I couldn't remember his name, I was writing down hippie at first, which felt weird because obviously he's not really, but. Yeah, I got there. In the
2: I did read that but, he picked that look on purpose to give it more of an 80s vibe.
0: Okay, well, kind of figures, I suppose. I think the actor's name is Lou Taylor Pucci, if I'm not mistaking him for somebody else. I'm sure he's a really nice guy, but yeah. As I said to you, when it finally got to the point where he was, because he's already a jerk for doing that with the book and stuff, and then he's vehemently like attacking David for not killing his completely, you know, innocent in this case, sister who hasn't done anything wrong. And it's because of him that she's ended up possessed anyway. And he's like, kill her, you coward. And then when, you know, (laughs) Natalie has done her pinhead cosplay, taken to the extreme and starts attacking him, I'm like, yeah, good,
1: kill him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, the tagline was the most terrifying film you'll ever experience. And I, I just didn't get that. I was... Kind of angry. Oh, I did. No, really? <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm kind of a horror wuss, so I think... Well, not, not necessarily terrifying, but certainly the most extreme. Like, even as I've been describing this film to people that haven't seen it, because we, I've been saying we're going to review it I'm like there's things in it that go too far Even for me in terms of like the level of gore Or some of the You know things that happen within the action Or some of the dialogue Where I'm like nah too far too, too much. And I did find it scary when, On first watch which you know that's the only time You can ever find something like that's scary Because when you know what's coming who cares
2: I'm um, not sure if it's I think the sure pride was more the gore though yeah, they should have said the goriest movie you've ever seen, and they might have had a spot there. But I, personally, I was terrified though. I I was pretty scared.
1: See, I've I've I went in expecting to be re- really terrified. I but I'm um, no, it 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 was just it kind of washed over me, and I don't know if it's down to the characterization. I mean, I did like as it, you know, it played with your preconception of that, like the switch at the beginning, one minute, you know, it's a girl running from render. Yes, I love you that. You think she's the victim and the next. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're just desensitized, to be honest, dude, because it's pretty bad. Bu- <laughs> it, it, I, I, was, I was pondering this earlier. I, I don't know if it's because, A, I kind of grew up on horror, and B, I play a lot of, like, kind of, survival horror games where you're interacting with oh, stuff okay. so it, it kind of it's a very passive passive thing i'd I'd love to watch a movie and actually be terrified but so far it, it's not happened and i kind of got my hopes up with you know what you were saying and then i thought oh I'll go and look at some reviews and everybody's saying oh i couldn't sleep at night after watching this and i i i, I kept waiting for that moment that made me think oh shit and it, it never it never arrived i mean Kind of to me, it it tonally felt a little inconsistent, as though it didn't exactly know which way it wanted to lean. And you know, as I said, the characterization was a little meh. So I don't know. I don't know.
2: It's like you resisted. You resisted a little too much. You had to be along for the ride. Let it unsettle you. From that first cut of roast beef, that ugly gray roast beef. Ugh.
0: (laughs) I will say. I mean, if you're watching this. If you're watching this movie in broad daylight, like, you know, two in the afternoon on a random weekday or whatever, it's not going to have the same impact as if you put it on, like, 10 o'clock at night in winter when it's, you know, pitch dark outside and you're on your own. It's going to naturally be scarier. These things do have an impact to your actual environment and stuff, but I thought it was scary, like I said, the first time I watched it. Um, and, And because so many of the things in it are unexpected because it doesn't just copy beat for beat exactly what happens in the original, and so... I don't know if I would use the word scary or just shocked. I think in a lot of the instances, because I was just like, "Oh, whoa!" They're going there. They're doing this and this scene and that. And but yeah, I mean, were you not immediately shocked when um, Olivia, I think her name is, turns around and she's like chopped off half of her face? <laughs> like that's freaky, man.
1: Uh, I don't know if it's because you know, your you, your mind always makes things out to be worse than it is. It it, it was there, pretty bad. I- <laughs> he was there i mean you you, you have certain expectations going into a, a, an evil dead experience and yes it did play with some but it seemed to stick too close to others if you know what i mean but because of that you ended up looking for signs and you know that again cutting that that roast i i i can't see myself a group of early 20somethings taking a roast out to the cabin a pizza maybe or pat lunches but a a roast? It just felt like it was there for Chekhov's carving knife. Or yeah. You know, and then you um. saw Chekhov's Winchester, Chekhov's chainsaw, Chekhov's nail well, gun. I mean, I thought they were out there for we... me and not an episode of the Property Brothers. But it just it it all <laughs> seemed to signpost where it was going and that's that kind of took me out of it a little.
0: To be fair, though, so does the original. I mean, when was the last time you watched The Evil Dead? Because that does exactly the same
1: thing. Like the yeah, chainsaw is yeah. shown way before it gets used. I really want wanted. Don't. It's not that I wasn't. I was resisting. I really wanted to be gripped. I really wanted to be terrified. And I'll I'll refer to uh, my wife. Uh, she sat down and watched it with me, and she's got no stomach for horror whatsoever. And when I told her we were watching Evil Dead. She was, oh, fantastic. And then she found out it was the Ashless Evil Dead. And she went, oh, well, that's disappointing. And she pretty much sat through it all. And then at the answer, was that it? And she, mm. you know, I mean, this, this, yeah, it, I don't know. I don't know. It's that's I very
2: en- interesting.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it yeah. for what it was and what it was, I guess, trying to be. And it's a shame because I do like. Alvarez's Don't Breathe movies but mm. I think he's a, he's a good director it just it just kind of felt more of a passive experience to me and, he, and and for the subject matter mediocre shouldn't come into it regardless of who you are I don't think
0: yeah I do think part of it might be as as you've mentioned and we kind of we haven't talked about acting yet because I don't know if you brushed over it or we are going to do it at a different time yeah um, we were going to we yeah. were going to
1: you know just get into it as it uh, as it
0: went yeah but I think part of it is that, like you said, the characters in here are certainly for the majority of the characters just non-existent and they're there to be the canvas on which to put the shocks and scares and the victims that you know will be the five souls that need to be gotten with the possible exception of obviously Mia and I would say David does get a fair shake and Eric, but then that entire character is just dickhead. So, kind of, <laughs> and then... But it's the same with the others. Like Olivia, her entire character is bitch. And Natalie's entire character is arm candy, who's just going to stand around and be scared. So there's not that much great characterization. I mean, there isn't necessarily that much great characterization in the first, The Evil Dead. But there seems like there's more than this. And it does seem like, without wanting to be too offensive to them, that there's not that many great actors in this. With one exception, uh, which is Jane Levy, I think nobody else in here makes any kind of impact
1: no. besides
0: her so i Oops. kind of was like oh okay i've never heard of any of these actors except jessica lucas because i know cloverfield and whatnot yeah. but I was like i can kind of see why none of them with that one exception went on to any huge i mean Forgive me if I'm wrong, and they have secretly done stuff that's passed me by, but I've never really seen these names come up places, and now I'm kind of like, you can kind
1: of see why. Yeah, I mean, it's not you... wrong, me... None of them are bad performers, but it did feel at times like everyone was doing the bare minimum just because that's all they were asked to do. I felt like a couple of them were bad
0: performers, I'll be honest. So, but, yeah, <laughs> I think the the girl who plays Natalie... For me was just but then again maybe it's the writing in those cases like i said they're all very one note and one dimensional it just feels like it's a bit like that um the movie the cabin in the woods when it's like you're all the stereotypes you're the slut and you're the dumbass and you're the um, stoner and whatever it just feels like they gathered the cast together and were like jane levy you're ash but you're also the head dead height david you're you're the you know brother slash sister sibling role who's going to try to take care of the situation Eric, you're just a dumb dickhead who's going to cause all the problems. Natalie, you're there. And Olivia, you are (laughs) going to be the registered nurse, which we're going to drop in as soon as we can, because otherwise these people are stupid for trying to do this, you know, in an isolated cabin without medical intervention anyway. And uh, yeah,
1: you're just there to be a bitch and unreasonable (laughs) all the whole time. It's interesting that you bring Cabin in the Woods up because several times throughout while I was watching this movie, I honestly wished I was watching that instead. Mm. I can see what you mean. There's more to
0: that. And this is, but I think that's because it's not so much desensitization as that we're used to this genre of film so much that it didn't do anything. I wouldn't say it didn't surprise or shock you in the moments, but it didn't do anything plot wise that we haven't seen before.
1: No, that's and the thing. Like, I mean, this thing, yeah. two years after Cabin in the Woods. So yeah. you know, you would have thought that they said, "All right, that's they've they've done that in a certain way that's you know drawn at, drawn at aspects of what makes these films like that. Let's switch it up a bit." But it just seems to be by the numbers for a lot of the time. Yeah, I
0: do like this film a lot, just to say that. But I do think, like I said, part of the issue is that other than the you know the um, what I call the pre-credit scene, the very intro scenes. This is a film where you're expecting five people to carry the entire movie. And like I said, only one of the five actually has
1: the chops to do it, unfortunately. I mean, you you could say it's because, I mean, with people like Natalie, I mean, I did, honestly, I did keep forgetting she was there for the first half of the movie. So when she did appear, I was like, who's that? But I mean, it's not entirely her fault because of these alleged cut lines, which... If, yes. that, if that's the case, I mean, if you're going to take it out because it's you want an R rating, fine, but don't do it to the detriment of your characters—the very few characters that you've got. I mean, she just came yeah. across like she was there to round out the numbers. Outside yeah. of
2: the introduction, um, then the first time she talks, it's kind of like, well, you know, she's like, "See, I told y'all we should have done this," and it was just like very annoying. It's like, who, who is she again? Where did she yeah? <laughs> but then her her big scene where her Cutting off her arm, I actually thought she did pretty good there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I feel yeah, like, but the line. Oh, I feel, I feel better now.
2: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> like everything. Yeah, fine.
0: it's. I kind of like that as well, and she did a very good job. But I do think a lot of that is, and I don't know how they did it, so I couldn't take the specifics. But a lot of that is going to be the actual physical act of doing what you were doing and the special effects involved and stuff. There's not a lot of acting. She's going to be cutting something. yeah. yeah. So it's kind of, it's very easy to imagine you're chopping off a limb and you would be screaming and you would anyway, because there's gallons of fake blood splashing right in your face. So.
1: But again, yeah. they, they give her that little touch of idiocy, like when, you know, when the cellar doors open and Mia's down there and she's kind of, you know, acting all friendly Damn. again. And Natalie goes down, and you just think, after everything you've seen, really? See, I was I was watching that scene every
0: time, and I guess i have seen this before, and yeah, every time I watch that scene, I'm like, the stairs! Chekhov's loose stair specifically yeah. came up, you know? <laughs> oh, we need to repair these stairs. And I'm like, just don't go on the stairs. Talk to her from where you are. You don't need to go down there, <laughs> you know?
1: It's Part of me feels like some of this script was written with a much nicer setting in mind. I know in the cabin, mm. but you know, as I say, when they're in the kitchen cutting that roast beef and stuff, the
0: Oh, hygiene's gone out of the window,
1: damn it. But it, at one point, after Mia comes back and her brother says, Get a shower, now I'm gonna, I'm just gonna take a little diversion tour here. I went when I went traveling around Europe, I ended up in Budapest on a campsite and I had to get a shower in a shower block in this campsite. Right. And this shower block was like something from Silent Hill. But I got a shower. I would not have got a shower in that cabin. I don't care how traumatized you are. You would not step foot in that shower in that bloody place. Why not? I don't have an issue with that, and at
0: least it showed you how they were like operating it. Like it showed you the furnace, and it was going to extremes as she was like turning the heat up and stuff.
1: But again, it just it just seemed like a plot contrivance to, you know, say, oh, this is what's going to happen next. It, it, again, it, it, all of it just seemed to be not a Rube Goldberg as such, but it was like it was signposted all the way around, and and I just, I maybe that's what took me out.
2: But the movie, I'll be honest, really- I didn't feel that. Going back to the writing, it did move that fast. The pacing was incredibly Oh, I fast. would disagree and with so, that. <laughs> oh, I, I think that's why you're seeing a lot of these things as plot contrivances or what purpose did that show or, you know, what purpose did that scene serve? Um, And it's because it was just one horror scene after another, in, in my opinion.
0: But... <sighs> i I would agree i would agree with you sorry just to finish my thought i would agree with you for the most part but i do think it's noticeable now as i'm re-watching this just how long mia is gone from the film and it's just like she is the central character okay it's a weird kind of antagonist and protagonist situation but when she's like in the cellar and it's just after natalie has kind of attacked them and then she's kind of done that horrible horrific oh, why does my face hurt and she's died? And then I'm like, from this point, it's a long time until you see Mia again. It's when David like goes back to get her, and I'm like, your central character really shouldn't be away from whatever no. story you're telling for this long.
1: I mean, don't get me wrong. When, when uh, uh, you know, shortly after the shit hit the fan and Mia started running, and when the figure comes up out of the water, that was a really good, kind of good scare. Mm. I like that. Yeah. And then it all just came to kind of slow down quite a lot.
0: Yeah, at that point, I think it did. But I'm with um, Sandra, with you, that there's a lot of stuff that does seem fast-paced and a lot of the sort of kills and moments come from the moment, like at least when Olivia starts cutting herself to that point where it slows down. It does seem kind of relentless and one thing after the next and, you know, facial dismemberment. And then this sort of what I probably, I'm not supposed to find funny, but do when like Eric slips on the loose cut-off skin and whacks himself on uh, the toilet. In yeah. The <laughs> That's just, yeah, that, and then right down to, like you said, Natalie cutting off her hand, which I kind of liked because I was like, I don't know if I'd have the strength to do that. And I like that she's intelligent enough to know uh, it's kind of like an infection. Also, side note, it was incredibly satisfying when she was squeezing the evil out of that thing. <laughs> that was like a full on pimple so popper video
1: <laughs> Oh, my God. No, that was so satisfying. Things.
2: It was actually like her will because she was getting taken over like her head was doing the whole snap thing and she mm. was starting to drool. And then she becomes aware all of a sudden it's it, it's like she suppressed what was trying to take her over. And then that's when she knew she had to cut the arm off to stop the spread as it were.
0: Yeah. I just read that as like, as they were saying in the dialogue at the time, maybe it's like a virus or something. And obviously it isn't, it's like a demonic possession. And the I think it's Eric immediately, like, oh, what kind of virus is this? It's stupid. But obviously that is what puts the seed in her head of, she bit my hand, it's spreading from there. If I cut off my hand, I will stop the infection. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It's it's kind of, you would p- potentially think that is logically what's happening. And if it's taken you over, cut off the arm and you'll feel better. And as you said, that leads to the thing of, oh, I suddenly feel much better now. Which as it turns out, doesn't work anyway, unfortunately. But I was kind of like, at least I can see some common sense from her there to think that and to try. And again, it's an Evil Dead
1: movie. We've seen that done and work when Ash cuts off his hand. So that's this, that's another one of the things that kind of got to me. I, I mean, I, I I like the little the the more subtle references, like the ones in the book itself. The, the little picture of the hand flipping the bird and the plate showing what is essentially the movie movie poster for the original. Yeah, <laughs> I now, love that. Yeah. I felt like if those had been the only references, I would have enjoyed it more. I didn't need to see somebody cutting off a hand in a, you know, a kind of flashback to the original movies. I certainly didn't see, you know, feel the need for it to stick the chainsaw in the hand. It just kind of felt like taking the best what people turned the best bits from the originals, updating them a little, and saying, "There you go." I mean, I, pre- I prefer the, t- the scenes where it feels like. Alvarez was allowed to be himself and not beholden to what went before. And the, <laughs> the irony is that I prefer the scenes where it's more <laughs> movie. I mean, I, did, a- I do like that scene where he's burying Mia, and mm-hmm. she's got that bag overhead, and yet she's still having that conversation with him. I thought that was uh, yeah. a really creepy scene. I did like that. I thought that was uh, that was really. I could have done with more of that and, and less of the, the pandering, as it were. Why do you hate me?
0: You obviously do. You went away. I had to lie to mom. I had to say you were coming like you promised and you never turned up. (laughs) Shut up! Shut up! (laughs) See, that's great dialogue, though. I love that kind of shit. I'm all for that. Um, Since we were kind of vaguely talking about writing, I kind of like that. And I I like that a lot more than the kind of cheap attempt that they did, like I mentioned with Natalie, where I was like, it's kind of horrifying when she turns back to herself and she's Obviously, at this point, she's missing both arms. She's got a face full of nails, and she's like, Why do I hurt? I'm dying. It's horrible. And I'm like, I don't need that. That just feels really cheap and exploitative. Whereas the stuff with Evil Mia trying to play on the character stuff that we know about her and David, I was like, Ooh, I like this. Because it's kind of, it's, it's more imaginative than, ah, let me suck your cock. Yeah. I mean,
1: I like the fact that you actually saw the demon in this as opposed to the zoom camera. You know, in the originals, that they actually had. Well, the- did you? I mean, you you never really see anything other than evil well, Mia. <laughs> kinda, but it's it's still more than you you kind of had in the the first. You know, with the the zoom. Yeah, I get it, but I think that plays into,
0: like I said, my sort of whole metaphor thing is that that is the face of the evil becomes literally Mia. Like that is even the abomination that rises after the five souls is the evil version of her. Um, yeah, I'll get into other stuff. I'm sure later as we start talking, but
1: yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I've got the the, uh, the MacGyver slash A-team in a barn scene.
0: <laughs> Let's modify this into a defibrillator. <sighs> Can I just say, this is such a weird nitpick, and I know it is, but considering what he was trying to do, he couldn't think to take the bag off her friggin' head first when he was actually using the defibrillator. I was like, <laughs> she's still got the bag on her head. <laughs> Come on. Also, and I didn't mind it as such because it's a chance to see the incredibly attractive face of Jane Levy, but it was very convenient that once she's died, not only does it cure her deadite possession, but all the burns that she's going
1: magically go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's some Maybelline stuff going on right there. Going back to it, it brings up what, uh, while I was doing the, re- uh, the research for behind the scenes, what some people have brought up, uh, the five people problem. You know how it's supposed to have five people to have this demon to rise. Well, uh, five
0: souls. It doesn't say five Yeah,
1: but a lot of people have pointed out that David was never actually possessed when he set fire to the cabin, so there was only four. Well, that's in a deleted we...
2: scene. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. I it
0: mean, really it probably is. is. I was going to say the, ex- <laughs> the extended version does fill in a lot of the gaps and does also make it creepier and keep me in the narrative a lot more. So I think the extended version is preferable. But I think you're forgetting the dead dog. Really? It's still technically a soul. Oh, God.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Which I didn't even think needed to be in the movie at all. I was actually <laughs> did not like that part.
0: I didn't think you would. And I kind of get it. And I was like, oh, they kind of killed the dog. And that's another kind of cheap, like, oh, you've went a little bit far moment um, that I could see a lot of people having an issue with. Um, which, like I said, the other thing, I, there's a couple of moments like that that I probably should mention. Uh, the other one being, like I said, when Evil Mia's trying to get to them and she just starts being vulgar. And I'm like, that's just, there's nothing scary or shocking about that. It just made me roll my eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, the first one being, like, asking her brother, like, oh, let me suck your car. And then, you know, oh, your sister's stuck in cocks. Yeah. And then there's something about, like, let me taste your cunt or <laughs> your yeah, dirty it's... cunt to Natalie. And I'm like, this is just terrible. This is just, this is, you know, the ultimate, oh, I'm just such a hardcore rage boy type writing a movie type stuff.
1: That's like, this is It me of, like, The up. Exorcist, how she was yeah. talking. Yeah, yeah, kind
2: of. Was, and that, that it, might yeah,
1: be what I for. mean, since The Exorcist, it's, the, it's been done to death it doesn't add anything to the movie. And I was
0: like, you've gone too far because now I'm just grossed out, rolling my eyes and thinking, ugh.
2: I think the exorcist (laughs) is just like a template for what demon possession looks like. And in that sense, you know, it followed a lot of those same rules.
0: It just seemed daft to me because the demon had already shown that it's more than willing to do the fake-out thing, which, again, is like a staple of the evil dead. And it makes more sense that it would try to lure them that way with like, what's happening? I'm down here and I'm hurting and what's going on? And you would naturally assume that the person... Checking on them would be like, Oh, they're cured. They're themselves. What, we've got to go check on them. But then all pretense of that is gone by the time you're like, yeah, I'm going to swear. It's like, well, <laughs> clearly I'm never going to fall for anything you say again now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it just felt weird. And yeah. um, the only – the other thing for me that I wasn't – I don't want to lead the conversation for you, but I felt like we should probably have a conversation about the tree scene.
1: Um I'm keeping yeah. away from this. <laughs> well, I'm gonna try and be, I'm gonna try and be very, very careful
0: if I can. Um, I will say, for whatever reason, I never remembered this as vividly as the tree scene in the original, The Evil Dead, which is a scene that I hate, like with a passion. I just think it's way too exploitive. It doesn't need to be there. It's it's gross. Even Rainey regrets yeah. that. Yeah. Well, you see. That was what I was going to say. Supposedly, Raimi has said, "Oh, I don't. I regret that. I wouldn't include it in the movie." But frankly, I would say the gent doth protest too much because if you really don't want that scene in your movie, there are ways to take it out. If if George Lucas can make sure we never see the original cuts of the Star Wars movies, you can remove the horrible tree scene from The Evil Dead. And well, he clearly has- I
1: mean, if you're a producer on a film and the the, the director says, oh, "I'm going to do this scene," and if you regret the original scene that much, as producer, won't you veto it? Well, exactly. Yeah.
0: Like i said but even if it was like we shouldn't have done it and it shouldn't be in the film now okay so take it out it doesn't for me really add anything and it's horrible it's what got it the kind of video nasty label anyway but i was like okay i get that it's probably the iconic thing that people know from the movie and so that's why this movie kind of i guess centered in a way the story on it but i was kind of trying to think about like why would you and like i said for whatever reason it doesn't seem as as egregious in this movie as that original one And I was like, I wonder why that is. Let me try and think about this. And I'm like, perhaps it's because uh, what happens is Mia attacking herself. Like it's an actual face and it's not, it's portrayed way more as a possession than an attack. And I'm like, yes, you could have easily, you know, you could have done it. Through the mouth or whatever else Which still would have technically been a kind of sexual So for me it's kind of like because it is Mia Attacking herself I get that it feeds a lot more Like I, to, not to keep droning on Film student style about it but it, it feeds into The more you are your own worst enemy And this is perhaps your You know a metaphorical version of your heroin addiction Taking over you and getting the best of you And like I said the fact that it was That possession and I didn't think it was as You know terrible And what's the word Like exploitative or whatever was the original scene Gratuitous, that was the word I was looking for, it wasn't anywhere near as gratuitous as that because you don't really necessarily see anything other than, you know, she's now got whatever this black vine goo thing is inside of her, that's the literal possession and we'll move on from there. Um, You know, but and again, it kind of, it works on other metaphorical levels because she kind of mentions that she's been attacked in the woods and everything and because she's such a bitch, Olivia's just like, yeah, she's, she's just saying that, which again is a very uncomfortable analogy to like rape victims that are never believed or whatever, even to the point of like I pulled thorns out of her wrist. She probably did it to herself. And I'm like, ooh, this is I I don't like you, Olivia. <laughs> you know? But yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> moving on from yeah. that, I just wanted to kind of I just wanted to at least talk about that and say like I don't get why it's why it was in the original film. I kind of get it a bit more here. And for some reason I don't find it as sickening and grotesque as it is in that original. But yeah, maybe you could still do without it, I suppose,
1: <laughs> or do it differently. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not something that I particularly could have dealt with. I, I, It's not, you know, if, if it had not been there and there was a, another way of having me possessed, it would have been, I would have preferred it if I'm being honest. I do think it was
0: very restrained Especially when you look at some of the other moments in the movie Like for what it was It just it did what it had to do to get you to the next point of the plot And like I said, it showed quite a lot of restraint Not to go overboard with it, I suppose Yeah um, Anyway um, talked a little bit about I just wanted to say I've only got one other note about the acting So I kind of wanted to bring it up now And just say that I don't know about you two But I really thought that this film would be Jane Levy's big break Who plays Mia um because she'd previously only done like i think it was a sitcom or something called suburgatory something like that um which she was one of the co-leads cool in and i thought like she's really good in this movie so hopefully it'll propel her into like really major roles and it just seems like it hasn't which was a bit of a shame for me because i was like she's the only one really for me that holds her own and it's not just like a you know oh, physical attraction type thing or whatever i think she's really good um but you know you feel free to disagree if you guys do but
1: no i'm I've, 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 have you seen the don't don't breathe movies i haven't they're really good they're really good uh, and she knows like having both of those uh, okay fair enough but again you would you would think she would have been more of a breakout star than than you know a couple more films by alvarez
0: yeah that's what i mean that's like kind of especially when you look at what the original films did for bruce campbell which is, she's kind of the analog of here. And it's like, oh, she didn't really. And I was just making note on a performance. And I was like, there's so little to everybody else's like one dimensional thing. And yet she's got like incredibly expressive eyes. And when you think of what she's got to do, she's got to do a range of performance that is from like loud and screaming to quiet and like victimized, quiet and sinister. You know, she's got to go from victim to survivor, like kick ass final girl. She's got to be between both good and evil, obviously, and I'm like, she does a lot in this movie. She had a like have acting good range movie. in this, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And she's good at it all. I mean, she's terrifying as the creepy deadite moment, even though the main scene was kind of cut. She's entirely believable as Mia. You feel really sorry for her, um, even though, yeah, like I said, you, you necessarily wouldn't, know, knowing she's an addict and she's tried it before and whatnot. It's weird that you then feel really sympathetic towards her because you're kind of, we all have our own inner demons, and that's what I mean. It, it working on that level makes you think, I feel for her. I kind of wanted to get through it and conquer this. And uh, so that makes the ending even more triumphant when the, the like evil version of her is like, ah, you're pathetic junkie, and she says, I'm sick of this. Could have done without her ripping her hand off 127 hours style, but that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> neither here nor there.
1: Yeah, it would have been nice had she had some... I'm gonna'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be you know nasty to the actors and say she had some decent actors to back her up. I can't really say if they were decent or not because I do, just don't think they were given the material in yeah. which to shine
2: <laughs> Eric and and I'm having a f- claw for my my spots here. Um, Eric and David had a pretty good scene when they were talking about um, when when Eric was kind of finished drawing the parallels to the book and saying, yeah, I think I'm the one that did this. And, you know, they had a scene where uh, David's in denial and Eric's convincing him and telling him exactly what has to be done to stop all of this. And just him working so hard to convince David of what's going on was a pretty well acted scene between those two guys. There were tears, um, you know, is very upset, very distraught. This is kind of the moment where Eric gets uh, kind of turns the tide as many redemption arc that I mentioned earlier, because all of a sudden he's, you know, saying we have to end this, we have to end this right now. We can't just wait till morning and leave, wait for the, you know, the Creek to go down. Um, and and that, that actually was a well acted scene. They did have the material in that moment,
1: but it, it it just seemed very few and far between to me.
2: True, true. And, that, and that's because they're, my opinion was that the pacing was going so fast that there was, you know, then we moved straight to the action.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right because it is only a 90 minute movie as well. So there's not a lot of time to get into characterization. But I was going to say, I think Shiloh Fernandez, I think the actor's name is, does a decent job with what he's given and playing off, like I said, the kind of the backstory that he and Mia get that he'd like left her. Um, you know, dementia-ridden, dying mother, and didn't come back, and he wasn't there for a sister until now. So I kind of got that, and I think his performances—that was great, especially like I said, when she or the evil version of her is trying to like play on that insecurity when he's burying her, and he's like, "Ah, oh, shut up, shut up." <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I would like to see the extended version just to see if mm-hmm. there is some extra characterization in it, and not just extra scenes of gore.
0: There's not really any extra gore that I recall, and it's been a while since I saw it, but I know that I have seen it, and all I can remember is the different ending, a few more scenes of Deadite Mia that keep her kind of in the audience's focus, including the cool scene that should never have been cut, where she's like half open the cellar door and she's giving it the "We're gonna get you," I don't know, and tapping her fingernails on the wood at the time, and I'm like, you know, you, it's it's a shame to lose all of that, especially when, like I said, your film's only 90 minutes. You could have easily. Cause it's only six minutes worth of footage that they lost. It seems weird.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, do, you, do either of you guys have anything else to say about the writing, directing action uh, actors? Sorry.
2: Um, I did like um, the prequel. We talked about that where they flipped yes. the script there in the beginning, but they also kind of laying some ground rules. Um, so I thought that was important maybe for people who hadn't seen the movies. When we first meet the characters, the intros and exposition, I thought it was a bit clunky and awkward at first, but it kind of quickly yeah. warms up and and kind of a cool scene there in the beginning when they first enter the cabin and there's a shot from underneath the floorboards with the light flitter- filtering through, which kind of gives you the feeling like there's an evil presence already kind of there yeah. and it's in the basement. So I thought that was cool. I did like the pics as exposition um, when she goes into the room, um, and, and there was the exposition got a bit clunky again there when she was talking about their mother, and uh, but I did like that there was pictures there, kind of showing happier times, showing them all together, also showing you know that they've had time at this cabin before. I mean, I kind of thought it was weird that. That this exposition was taking place in a cabin that they apparently maybe vacationed at when they were younger. But yet it's also set up like we get an exposition in other movies where you're going through her old high school room that she lived in in high school. (laughs) So I thought that was like maybe a little bit weird. Um, But other than that. Oh, and then they also set up some high stakes, you know, in the beginning, like she either gets off the drugs or she'll die. We are here. We're going to keep her here no matter what. But then when she's able to grab the keys and run off, even in that moment, it's like they didn't try very hard when they were trying to talk her into staying. I I didn't think that held up. Um, uh, But other than that, like I said, they just really do some things in the beginning to start to make us feel uneasy. It it, it does start off kind of slow. There's the unappetizing roast beef and then, um, you know, she takes off in the woods, she comes back, and, and we talked about this briefly, that she, uh that they, they did throw that in there to where you, she, Mia herself was unreliable in recounting what was happening to her friends because of it easily being blamed on her drug addiction and the withdrawal that she was going through. And Eric was placing, piecing it together in the background for the audience, but didn't say anything about it until it was very obvious that there was something else going going on there. And that's probably because people would have thought, you know, alternatively, he was crazy. But it started off slow. And then the pace picks up. And then I thought it was just kind of nonstop after that. So As far as the writing for me, the pacing, um, the way it was ramped up, I thought was interesting. And then uh, you probably read this in the the behind the scenes stuff, but that the the film was actually shot shot in sequential order because of all the blood that they wouldn't want to worry about going back and having to clean up something for continuity. I thought that was interesting, but in that way, just I think about that, how the film was shot and how it probably lent some atmosphere to the acting um, in that respect and that they were getting more frantic. Um, I mentioned a couple of acting parts I thought were good uh, besides what you guys had mentioned, but I, I wanted to give the two guys a little bit more credit in that one scene, but it it rarely ever slowed slowed down. It, it rarely ever was in horror, except in those in that moment
0: right there.
1: That's yeah. fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's some good uh, some good points there. What about you, Mike?
0: Yeah, I've got a few things to to talk to First of all, um, like you said, I kind of I, I was very with you, DK, and uh, as you kind of alluded to about foreshadowing things a bit too much. And uh, I could have done without the uh, scene, which was very on the nose when she's like, are you here to help me oh, across my heart? And then he replies, hope to die. I'm like, ah, oh. <laughs> that was a roll your eyes moment. But I did love the scene where it's kind of the exposition about their mother, because I read so many layers of meaning into, it's probably lucky that you didn't see her the way I did, especially when you consider what comes after that. Yeah. I was like, ah, interesting. Cool. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, didn't love the foreshadowing of the lullaby because as soon as it came up about like this is the song she used to sing i was like that's gonna come up again i did too, sure, see did, that yeah <laughs> i hate the famous scene of the tongue cutting because i just don't quite get it and i don't think we need it and it makes me icky uh, <laughs> so i just don't like that I, I i'm kind of on board and i like all of the stuff with the new new twists on the law because again i i don't remember there ever being a case of it needs to specifically take five souls to resurrect this abomination and rain blood and such. And I'm like, all right, I get it. That's cool. Um, I'm with you again with it's nice that Eric saves David and gets that redemption moment and then as he's dying even gets to say, I missed you, man. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I like that David is smart enough during the kind of burying scene and everything and her being cruel to specifically say to me, you know, you're not her. (laughs) I was like, all right, cool. Um, apparently, it's been disproved on Mist that shooting a gas can would blow up the entire cabin, but that's a very spoil sporty way of looking at it, so,
1: <laughs> you
0: know. That, that really is nitpicking. That's um, that's this episode's uh
1: Joel moment,
0: yeah, exactly, <laughs> precisely, yeah. Um I, I kind of liked that it was it was doing the Raimi thing introducing things like the chainsaw and I was like if you doubted that Mia is the ash of this movie by the time she picks up the chainsaw and stuff at the end and it's clear she's the final girl and then she loses her hand I was like all right I get it now like you know you couldn't make it any more obvious um,
2: yeah and when I, Eric I really runs, like the, when Eric runs into the into the shed and he he starts to go for the chainsaw but instead goes three shelves up I was wanting him to get the chainsaw so bad
1: yeah, oh,
0: I can't say I was noticing, but yeah, I did like uh, directing wise. A lot of the I've got a ton of notes just about directing. But first, the first one which I've written on writing for some reason is I do kind of love that it ends with like a beautiful sunrise and things coming out nice and stuff. Because like I said, I I did see it as like this could be a big metaphor for me as addiction, and she had to go through the ultimate challenge and all of her friends abandoning or leaving her, which obviously you know literally they they died. But and then she has to face her ultimate evil, which is her kind of dark demons and stuff herself before ultimately emerging triumphant out of the worst of it and presumably kind of i don't know clean and cured and whatever else you want to say so i appreciated that little touch of like the sun's rising and everything's good which is why it's one of the rare instances that i preferred this to the extended cut which again just seems cheap when you're doing the whole "ooh, is it still over but they still do do that by flashing to the book and like it's still here it's not good anywhere so yeah yeah (laughs) um Let's see directing wise i'm just gonna probably rattle through this i've got a lot of things that i like i like that it's kind of a misty hazy look over everything because it gives it that i don't know nightmare type quality lots of close-ups of like body parts blood etc which is you know it's it's a common thing but you could say it's perhaps a nod to the original uh the drive to the cabin is, to the cabin sorry is just like the original the evil dead and very reminiscent of the shining with the kind of ominous music and the winding roads and stuff so it's very horror um Love all the shots of like light beams through the cellar as you're watching from below, and a lot of shots that could be POV of the demon, as you were mentioning, DK, because it gives you the audience the kind of like whose eyes are we seeing through what's going on here, uh, kind of tension.
1: I think that was Sandy actually.
0: Oh, sorry, yes, as you were saying, then Sandra, sorry, um, <laughs> quite all right. There's, I love that they do a near subliminal shot that as the force hits Mia, you see evil Mia for like a fraction of a second flashing your in the uh. Uh, frame, I guess, and I was like, ah, oh, I appreciate that. That's cool. It's not quite terminal because you register it, but I was like, it's it's cool that they did that. And that's how she kind of gets hit, and she vomits, and you know everything. Great cool shots on the road when the car crashes because it sees like evil Mia. As you said, DK, the shot of the evil version like rising from the water is supremely creepy and scary. I love it. Yeah. Um, I noticed again to put on my annoying film student analyst brain, I noticed an awful lot of shots of reflections in this movie, which again I think plays into the theme of, you know, you've got to face your demons, you're your own worst enemy. And it was usually as people were getting possessed for the first time or about to be by the deadites. So if you get a chance to ever rewatch this, take note of exactly how many scenes have characters looking into mirrors. There's at least 10 that I counted where I was like, "Mm." not necessarily just mirrors, by the way, one of them is like Mia reflected in the TV uh, as she's coming to attack one of them and stuff. But yeah, people reflected happens a lot. And I was like, this is a movie all about duality and uh, facing yourself. So it kind of, it seemed like that was the reason for it kind of mentioned everything else an awful lot of shots that i noticed that were very ramy-esque that i know you didn't like dk and i did so anytime they do the kind of um you know quick crash zooms cuts dutch angles uh quick focuses on stuff there's tons of moments like that i'm not going to name every one but you know they they are definitely there and i liked it and uh in particular the a couple of the attacks i think don't necessarily work because they get jerky to try and ape that Remy style, and it just makes it look a little bit silly or as if they've not mastered the effects quite. Yeah. But I yeah. You see what I mean by that, yeah?
1: Yeah, it's, that, that's the problem. I think this is the main problem I had with it. I mean, I had a, 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 I get the feeling that he had a, Alvarez had a great time planning it and being allowed to play in the sandbox, but he was very restrained, almost as if yeah. trying to stick too close to the original hampered it. And he's a great director in his own right. Yeah, I do think, and perhaps this is me reading
0: too much into it, but I think the the moments that it gets the most Alvarez instead of Raimi are when he kind of builds up the slow reveals and the tension and he's playing with like the light and dark. And he's really like, you know, scraping your nerves, wondering what's going to happen and when it is, because he's really taking his time and being quite restrained. And I would have to watch, you know, the Dawn Breed movies and stuff to know if that is more his style. But it definitely isn't very Sam Raimi, who would just be like, "Let's hurl a thousand things at you one after the other."
1: Yeah. yeah. So, do you have Do you guys have anything uh, noticeable with regards to the effects?
2: I do. <laughs> I like that they um, one nod to Raimi's original Evil Dead's. Um, that they used practical effects and rarely used CGI. I think I read it was just for Mm. the fire and for removing the wires. Everything Mm -hmm. else was practical effects, supposedly.
1: That's cool. Yeah, I didn't know that.
2: So the cutting of the arm must have been a um, uh, prosthetic of of some sort. Yeah,
0: cool. Yeah, I just I've just got that. I think the Deadite makeup here is super effective. I think it's vastly improved from the original, which is just slightly ridiculous and kind of comes vastly. off a bit fatal.
1: <laughs> and no
2: <laughs> no claymation in this one. I thought that was yeah an exactly. So,
1: <laughs> still one hint of plasticine. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, but I do think at times that, they, and again, this is going to be, the audience are going to be screaming at me for being a wuss or being a prude, but I think it goes too far at times. So, like, when the initial uh, girl at the in the opening scene is burning, didn't need to be saying that quite so vividly. Um, the, the scenes of the cutting and the maiming and stuff are sometimes, like I said, just too convincing. I get that that's probably the effects doing a very good job, and, like, kudos, you know, you're doing well. But for me, it's almost off-putting because I'm like, this is, it's almost too real, and I, I, I'm my brain knows horror movies aren't. And I'm not, I don't need convincing that this is happening in that on that level of realism. Uh, and the only other note I have with regards to that is that similarly, it's really horrifying when you see the scalding blisters appearing on Mia uh, after she's got sco- like really badly in the burned. Shower.
2: Yeah,
0: I don't know if, I I, thought if that, was-
2: <laughs> that opening scene with the fire, I actually liked that scene a lot because, um when when the fire starts up the she doesn't scream in horror or anything instead it's the demon saying oh fuck that's what happens like he didn't mm. he was getting hurt by it he was like damn that hurts but nothing was really yeah, yeah.
0: i get that it's more the visuals that bother me than like cuz i love the scene and i love what's happening but it's more the visuals of like it's a bit too realistic like i said of like i, I don't want to feel like i'm watching a real person burning
1: to death You know um, yeah. You're the most squeamish horror fan I've ever met man.
2: I know I thought Ooh. I <laughs> was With the, all the stuff you say you watch And I Don't watch I'm very picky about the horror I actually do sit down and watch It has to have a mythology uh, Which this one does And why there was some disappointment for me in the movie But um I'm surprised to hear this Of you Michael I think
0: it kind <laughs> comes back to it. Come, it comes back to what we've talked about, DK, in that I can stomach a lot of kind of extreme violence if it's ridiculous and over the top. So, like the Tarantino type, where it's like this is basically a live action cartoon. There's no realism to any of this. But when you start getting into like real life things, like we talked about kind of with John Wick and the guns and
1: like here with like, this just hits me as way too real. This could be the the reason why I'm, I have trouble with it. What As I mentioned earlier, when I said it was, it, to me, it felt tonally all over the place. There's a lot of things mm. in this movie that happen. It, it's It's obviously a much more grounded movie than the originals, but some of the things that occur in the movie are so absurd. I just can't help mm. but, find humor in that so when there is no humor within it it kind of doesn't work to me
0: yeah i see what you mean and i kind of agree with you i think the parts that work for me the best are when it's overly stylized and when it's getting you know perhaps people wouldn't like it because it's a bit copying or whatever but when it gets me esque because it is so unreal and because it is so daft so even stilly things like I know you, you seemed like you didn't like it, but like the slipping on the skin and whacking yourself on the toilet. I love that scene because it's so absurd and ridiculous that you're just like, all right, I can kind of dig this, <laughs> kind of if that's yeah. the tone you're going for.
2: Those are but the parts I liked the most when it became Raimi esque, as y'all are saying. Like, yeah, exactly. The moment I liked the most was right before she's about to cut her arm off and uh, Abomination Mia's in the. Peeking out from the cellar and she says Don't do it bitch, don't cut it off That I thought was Yeah, hilarious. as it's flashing
1: <laughs>
0: constantly back to her really quickly as well Yeah, it's, it's awesome But then, like I said, it's, it does things too far Like I didn't need the scene of the arm Like hanging by one last vein before I'm like, dude, you just, just
2: well, that's more... right, when she says I feel better now and then the arm Drops, hilarious yeah. <laughs>
0: it's just so bad For me, <laughs> I've only got a little bit on the music And sound if, you, if you'd like me to <laughs> do Yeah, do. go for it man Um, I just think the music does something that I kind of hate in horror movies, which is the false jump scare build, as I call it, which is it's every it's constant and when you notice it, you can't not notice it. And it's a constant like uh, groan inducing moment when it just goes like and then you expect something and it's just like, hi, it's me behind you, your friend, and you're like,
1: does anybody fall for this? (laughs) Yeah, some of the soundtrack felt a little too corny, like it was trying to hack back to the, the franchise roots. But it didn't ever feel to me like it belonged in this movie. It it felt like it belonged in something from the fifties a lot of the time. Yeah, music wise, it
0: felt incredibly generic. Like Freddie Alvarez had basically picked, you know, royalty free horror film music. Yeah. <laughs> example, and just pasted it in. You know,
1: <laughs> I did like I did like the little touch of the little snippets uh, of dialogue as. You know, do lyrics reading the book. I thought that was really good. Really well done.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but there are scenes as well where, because I love the echo effect they put on the voice, but they actually specifically, especially when she's saying the same lines, they layer in the original The Evil Dead audio as Mia's talking. Yeah. Yeah, so the most noticeable one is the, uh, you're all going to die tonight. And I was like, oh, I recognize that line so vividly that I can hear the original. like (laughs) blue in the mix there as you're saying it.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It means it's that time again. I'm going to go around ask your favorite character moment or scene or line from the film and uh, then before we get to conclusions we'll have a look and see what the audience had to say if anything so first of off we'll go for favorite character so on this we'll start with uh, with sandy then mike and finally myself so who's your uh, favorite character in this sandy and why
2: my favorite character going to go with an obvious one again is mia just because she um, goes through so much in the movie, but then also ends up being the heroine ultimate survivor of the movie. Uh, Just lots of strong scenes to be in. Just uh, liked her the most, although um, an honorable mention would be Eric in the second half. Um, I just thought his little redemption was good and deserved, and I was um, happy that he got that moment.
1: That's fair enough, and and you
0: might. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to be equally obvious in saying Mia because as I've mentioned, I, I I've already talked about how good the acting performance is and how much you feel for that character. I really sort of, I went along completely with her glorious rise to like kick-ass final girl. Um, I found her weirdly sympathetic and likable, like I said, and I know there's not that many characters, but the only other character I would even say as warranting consideration personally would be David. But yeah, I went with Mia because. It's kind of her movie, ultimately.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> again, I'm going to have to agree. Uh, it's pretty much Mia because other than Mia, they're all pretty forgettable to me. So it's either Mia or that guy in the post credit scene, whatever his name is.
2: <laughs>
1: and uh, your favourite uh, scene. What's your favourite scene, Sandy?
2: My favourite scene, it actually was um, a scene that we've talked about many times. Her cutting off her arm there in the kitchen it was very much reminiscent of the original evil dead um, although uh, Bruce Campbell takes it a bit slapsticky there but Mm. I liked that homage and um, her just kind of uh, catcalling from the cellar I thought that was funny I thought that was more of what I was hoping for in this remake that feel um i don't think was pervasive through the rest of the movie i wish it was and so that that was my favorite scene of the movie
1: fair enough and you mike
0: uh yeah i I will say i like most of the action scenes like the attacks and the kills at least to a point where some of them maybe go a bit far um the Thing that I almost considered, like I'd mentioned previously, was the scene where Evil Mia attacks uh, David in the cellar, and she goes full on flying at him. Because probably because it is the most like Sam Raimi style. Um, but what I'll have to give it to is the opening scene, which is kind of horrible for the rest of the movie, and says a lot about that. But. I do really love that opening scene the way that it starts just in the middle of action instantly hooks you and it's the interesting subversion of like the innocent girl and the people that you feel like is is torturing her and then it completely flips that as you said to like no she's the demon very um buffy the vampire slayers pilot episode type situation <laughs> so yeah
1: nice one well, i'm gonna go with that uh burying of mia scene Uh, Speaking to uh, to David, Uh, the plastic bag. Yeah, it was one of the genuinely creepy bits in the movie for me. So yeah, I'm going to go with that one. And uh, favorite line, Sandy.
2: My favorite line. I think is um, what came from just because it made me actually laugh out loud in the movie was from the same my favorite scene when she says you know don't do it you bitch don't cut it off and the way she says it like that's just going to ruin her whole afternoon if she cuts off the arm
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) what about you mate uh well because of my love of the original well first of all my choice would have been the we're going to get you, no, 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 it's pay time to go to sleep, except it's not in the movie anymore. Um, my choice was almost, you're all going to die tonight, but I was like, that's just the original movie nostalgia, so I'll try and pick one from here. And in the end, it's from the same scene as <laughs> you, Sandra, but it, it really made me laugh, and I think it's more the delivery when um, – David's, like, patching up Natalie and uh, just says, like, everything's going to be okay. You're fine. And Eric just chimes in with, she just cut her fucking arm off. Does that sound fine?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Weirdly enough, mine's from that same scene as well. And it's just, uh, I feel better now. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Okay, so great stuff. So, as I said, before we got to the conclusions, uh, we'll take a look at the audience participation. And as usual... We asked our listeners and those on social media what they thought of the movie. And once again, the responses were a little thin on the ground. So if anybody's out there (laughs) listening, if you think we missed anything in today's show, it's never too late to join in the discussion. Just hit us up at our links and let us know. As for the responses we did receive, I'm going to pass it over to Mike. And he'll read out that, I think, what, two that we did get? we well we got one from my brother who literally just private messaged me on Facebook and
0: nothing else just a few people who are friends on Letterboxd who kind of pointed me to their reviews um so there's not a lot but I will go through what I've got and I will start with my brother who just very short and sweet just says I freaking love the remake of Evil Dead it's just as good as the original in my opinion you your mileage may vary uh, this is uh, <laughs> we're going on to we're going on to Letterboxd now and this is from my friend John C Uh, He gives the movie three and a half stars and says (laughs) in uh, little bullet points, he's got when you beat the final level, but meet the hidden conditions to unlock the super secret bonus final boss. Uh, That's basically the last 10 minutes of the film. The apocalyptic blood rain is still so good. Uh, Next, I like this modern take on the franchise, still manages to maintain the silliness of the originals to a certain degree. And finally, really hope Evil Dead Rise does a good job, although I have doubts. So
1: we shall see. I'm,
0: I'm seeing
1: excited it for it I am actually it'd be interesting to see where they go with it now it's out of the uh, the cabin predicament
0: yeah and I I really love the look of the trailers I'm already loving how iconic the line of like "Well, oh, mommy's with the maggots now like, oh <laughs> goes through me that line uh, anyway <laughs> this okay. uh, this next one is uh, this next one is from uh, my mutual friend Mr critic on uh Letterboxd he gives this movie four and a half stars and says They don't make horror movies like this anymore. Let's start off with the fact the film has some of the best blood, guts, gore and grime of any film I've ever seen. I saw the theatre released cut and I've learned that there's an unrated cut now that I'll be searching to buy. This movie actually has characters I care about, really. Uh, This film subverts horror expectations. Instead of a bunch of sex-loving teens go out to a cabin and get murdered, we have a bunch of friends helping their drug-addicted friend not to relapse who get murdered very graphically although there are some dumb character decisions here and there, which is something I can look past if the movie is as good as this one. They aren't the most compelling characters, though. Not yet. This movie doesn't do too much groundbreaking except the blood rain scenes as in the top three of most gore-filled scenes ever. This film has a few groovy go to the original. This may be the best remake I've ever seen. That being said, the characters and script could have done some work, but are better than 90% of modern horror films. Overall, a fun gore-filled ride with great pacing and an okay screenplay. Fair enough. Alec Greer uh, gave the film three and a half stars and very briefly just says, brutal terror, gory scores, and gleefully bloody violence make this remake worth a watch. Uh, Lordly Kicker, my friend on the letterboxd, is less enthusiastic. He gives the film one and a half stars and says, wasn't a massive fan of this one compared to the original. Even though the original was goofy in places, this remake was way goofier and even made me laugh considering the tagline of the movie was the most terrifying film you'll ever experience. It was pretty awful. Despite some cool shots, it just feels generic overall and boring too. Okay. Uh, Alex Marzonia, my friend, gives it four stars and literally just says, good twists on the law and that's it that's all we've got for uh, audience feedback this week
1: mm, fair enough so thank you to mike's brother for taking time out and joining in <laughs> uh, yeah. so please come on dudes if you're out there listening joining we we really do appreciate it when people join in it's always nice to hear varied thoughts so uh, so now it's time to wrap this shit up and give our final thoughts and as we did with the favorite moment, etc., cetera, we'll go around beginning with Sandy, followed by Mike and myself. So, Sandy, if you could kindly give us your closing thoughts and score out five for Evil Dead 2013.
2: All right. So when I first wanted to see this movie, again, I was really wanting more of the Evil Dead reprise with just a modernized look and feel to it. I was fine with them using, you know, all new characters and kind of changing up the story a bit. So I was initially disappointed when I first saw it, except for a few little scenes where I thought that we got more of the feel from the original movie without it being too over the top silly. I was okay with them leaving out a lot of the slapstick stuff, but putting my own feelings aside about it and looking at what the film was trying to do, which was capture more of Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell's original vision as far as their filmmaking, Um, using all the blood. I think in uh, Evil Dead 2013, something different accounts have anywhere between 50 to 70,000 gallons of blood used for the film compared to the anywhere between 1,000 to 1,500 gallons of blood used in the original film. Um, I think that they captured that. I think when they, uh, using nothing but mostly practical effects, given what they were trying to achieve, I thought they did really well on that. And they did make a scary movie and the characters weren't horrible. The dialogue wasn't horrible the filmmaker took making this movie seriously. And I appreciated that about the movie. And so for me, I would give it a 3.5 out of five stars.
1: That's cool. And you back.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I haven't seen this film for a while, and in previous viewings, I feel like I was probably a bit more impressed. Uh, I do feel like I'm much more sensitive now to the moments that go too far for my taste, as we've kind of talked about, Um, I also see that this does lack some of the charm, originality, and off-kilter feel of the original, but I do also think it does some things better. I applaud the brave decision to have this story work far more on a metaphorical level and the decision to switch things up combining the Ash and actionist roles. Uh, I think there's way more emotional impact, and as a result, I connect with the reality a bit more and therefore feel more stakes and sense of dread. Although some might decry the unoriginality, I actually enjoy all the directorial touches that pay homage to Raimi. Uh, I was being generous saying pay homage rather than just rip off. Uh, I think there's a story here. There are some great original ideas, concepts, and scenes, and at least one or two great performances. I just wish Alvarez had been a bit more restrained in the go and over-the-top attempts to shock, because most of his direction is notably great. I also would have liked a bit more characterization, more for everyone to do, and more whimsy. Uh, For what it is, though, there's plenty to praise and enjoy here. And I also, funnily enough, gave it 3.5 stars out of 5.
1: Nice one. Right, so I'll read mine. Uh, yeah, when it first came to my attention that they were uh, rebooting Evil Dead, I was less than enthusiastic. Despite not being a diehard fan of the series, I did love the original movies a great deal and coming just a couple of years after the Elm Street remake, I was tired of lazy rehashes, so I didn't bother with it so much so, in fact, that I completely forgot about it and never got around to watching it until this week. However... In direct contrast to having such low expectations, I've heard so many good things about this movie in the several days leading up to viewing, both from friends and strangers, that I went into this experience expecting something phenomenal, something that would be at least unnerving. Several viewers I read said the movie kept them awake at night, and uh, the marketing made out that it would be the most terrifying film you'll ever experience, but nevertheless, I was disappointed anyway. Despite my best intentions to enjoy it, it didn't make much of an impact. The characters seemed uninspired and underused. The direction wasn't particularly striking to me, save for a couple of scenes which take some good creative decisions. And the callbacks, which to some may have seemed like cool Easter eggs, came across a little like a cheap way to get liked from nostalgia alone. It was too grounded to feature humour in the proceedings and too absurd to take entirely seriously. Don't get me wrong, I didn't hate it, but all in all, it wasn't as much fun to me as the originals. Now, I'm fully prepared to admit that it's very much a me problem, and I'm looking at what came before with rose tinted spectacles, as well as expecting to be blown away by this. But despite not feeling like it was a waste of my time, it all just felt a little forgettable to me. And really, when it's an Evil Dead film, that's the worst thing it could be. And I've given it three. So that gives us 3.3 recurring for the average score. Yeah, awesome. Nice
0: <laughs> That's very random. It's a yeah. cursed
2: it's a cursed number for the cursed podcast.
1: <laughs> I know, right? What what if it had been six point six six, which you oh. <laughs>
2: halfway
1: there? That, that would have been good considering we only go up to five, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, so there you have it. Once again you've heard our thoughts. Do you agree, disagree? Let us know on YouTube or social media. Links are in the description. If you have anything you'd like to share, then uh, don't hate hesitate to get in touch. Uh, All that's left is to thank my fellow survivors. Sandy, did you enjoy your time today?
2: Yeah, I made it. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you once again for lending some credibility to this thing. Is there uh, anywhere online the listeners can find you?
2: Just on on Mike's Discord.
1: Okay. And what about you? How was it for you, Mike? Anything you need to get the word out anywhere? No,
0: not really, just uh, I've had a really good time. Sorry, I talked a little bit too much, I think, at times over, <laughs> over Sandra in particular. I think uh, I we both did. I think Sandra had to fight to get through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just passionate about the movie because I do quite enjoy it. And I do, obviously, as a film that I own, it is something I enjoyed watching and, and trying to break down a bit <laughs> so but uh, yeah but no i enjoyed re-watching it and i enjoyed doing the podcast and i thought you you've done a fantastic
1: job hosting this week. oh <laughs> so, cheers, cheers mate well if this episode has whetted your appetite for cult movies or just movies in general and you're not a regular then please like and subscribe check out our other episodes in particular our previous looks at cult movies The Adventures of Bookaroo (laughs) Banzai, and Gremlins. Uh, Both are still available on YouTube, or if you prefer audio only, wherever you get your podcasts, it will be there. Now, next episode, we'll see Mike returning to the host chair as we take a look at Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, just in time for the final volume of James Gunn's trilogy hitting cinemas, We'll then be following that up with a look at James Cameron's 1984 sci-fi classic, The Terminator. And uh, Will will be back on that one joining us, which we're looking forward to. But wait, there's more. If you're still needing your cult fix satiated, we'll be back soon as we take a deep dive into time travel and guys in bunny suits with an episode looking at the classic Donnie Darko. And then shortly after that, Mike and I will be claiming we both have the touch as we take a look Woo! at one, the only Transformers the movie. And, yes, folks, it's we're, a good one. We're going to dare to believe. <laughs> <laughs> so grab your popcorn and make a date with us. Until then, thank you for joining us. We hope to see you next time. And in the words of a certain 80s action hero, Groovy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Link's in the description. We'll be back.
1: I'll
2: be back. Groovy. listening to the silver screen podcast hosted by michael wilson and dk created produced and edited by michael wilson behind the scenes sections and additional material produced by dk music by timeless journey more information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey Follow the podcast on Instagram at Silver Screen Podcast, or look for the Silverscreen Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen, Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast Production. Copyright 2022.